Hello, adventurers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 15 of the World of Azuria podcast. My name is Beth Ball, and I'm the author of the Age of Azuria epic fantasy series, which we'll be exploring in this show. In some episodes, we'll be swept away into the magical world of Azuria as I read chapters from the novels and stories. In others, we'll dive into the lore behind Azuria, and I'll answer your questions about the world, characters, and more. If you enjoy epic fantasy worlds, immersive settings, nature-based magic, and vivid characters, then this podcast is for you. In our second season, we're traveling through Buried Heroes, book one in the Age of Azuria series. I apologize that this chapter is coming a week after I'd hoped, but here we are, still heading off on our adventure. In today's episode, we join Eliath and Marcone as they prepare for the next phase of their journey and learn about the forces opposing the Woodland Druids. Um, but before we join Eliath and Marcone on their adventure, I wanted to take a moment to thank those of you who have left a review or rating of the podcast. You taking the time to do so means so much to me. If your podcast app supports ratings and or reviews, please take a moment to share what you enjoy about the show. I would love to to read it and I think that will help other listeners too and if your favorite listening app like mine doesn't support ratings and reviews or have those as an option then please do subscribe and share the episode or share the podcast with a friend who enjoys epic fantasy at the end of this episode you'll find a special preview of my new project the tree of silver a weekly email serial story combining epic fantasy fiction and the extended narratives of tabletop role-playing to learn more, visit bethballbooks.com slash treeofsilver. That's tree-of-silver. Or you can use the link in the show notes. There, you can sign up for the waitlist and be the first in line for story previews before launch later this year. And speaking of, to discover what happens next before new episodes of the World of Azuria podcast are released every Tuesday, you can find Buried Heroes for free at bethballbooks.com slash shop or at your favorite book retailer. Let's start our adventure. Persephone leaned toward Marcone and Mara to break the tension between them. Eliath can travel with us if she would like to, after she has spoken with the mayor. There is room in the wagons for both her and you, Marcone. She watched him expectantly and snuggled back under the shawl with Eliath. That is kind of you, Persephone, Mara answered. But I am not sure that can happen. Persephone scowled. Zatha, what do you think? Cassian rose to tend the fire. It is up to you, he said to Mara. But if you were to ask me, I would say that you need to tell her at least as much as you can. Elias' frustration rose just like it did when her stepfather and a prospective suitor or household official carried on a conversation as though she was not there. Had she still no say? But Mara was carefully considering Cassian's suggestion, and Eliot did not wish to disrupt the work he, Persephone, and Marcone had done on her behalf. Very well, Mara said with a sigh. I can tell you only so much for your own protection. Marcone's eyes remained narrowed at the druid. He would weigh her every word and search for the unstated dangers Eliot knew. Persephone took her hand and stared at Mara, and Eliot did the same. There is a dark magician who wishes ill on those who are like me, like Persephone, and most especially those who are like you. Mara's dark brown eyes fixed on Eliath. Like me? That is part of why you are here. But I am not a druid. Not yet. 
Mara's expression glinted for a moment with the spark of a plan, but she allowed it to fade. I wanted a chance to observe you further, to try to discern your own wishes. I sense that you have already endured a great many things that have been foisted upon you without your choosing them. There was no way to briefly explain the truth of this understatement, so Eliath nodded instead. I had hoped in the coming days to invite you to join our community. We cannot keep you safe from this individual indefinitely, but we can for a short time. Could this be true? Happiness and excitement pounded in her chest. She could live among the druids of the Vagervale, learn their ways, and be part of a close-knit community? The Council does not know all of this. They were alarmed enough at the attack on our sister colony, and we are waiting to hear from Yvain how many survived. Cassian, Mara glanced at him. Yvain and myself have taken a great risk that endangers our conclave for the present, but it protects our future. The layered riddles obscured her path. What was Mara trying to explain? But what is the danger? Who is this magician? You are the danger, Eliath. Mara froze as Marcone growled in frustration at this response. Because you are in danger, she clarified. Who you might become, should you choose, goes against everything this mage has been working for. He wants to destroy us, and he thinks he can do that by harming you. But why me? Mara had to have confused her with someone else, or the enemy she was talking about did. The greatest threat she'd ever meant to pose was to her stepfather's plans for her future, and she hadn't even proved capable of that. It would be my preference for you to find that answer for yourself. This man, or what remains of him, will be fixated on you as soon as he realizes where you are. But as far as we know, that time is not yet here. I would ask for your help with the mayor so that I can convince the council that you should be brought into our community, whether or not you decide to take the druidic mantle upon your shoulders. Would you speak on our and the forest's behalf? And in exchange, you will protect her from this sorcerer? Marcone asked. Or help me find somewhere new to go? I, I can't go back to the castle. The plea came out more openly than Eliath had meant. Persephone rubbed her hand along the back of her neck. We will help in whatever way we can, Eliath. Right, Statha? A secret. That we will. We can stay for a few more days to see how the cards play out. Cassian bowed his head to Eliath. A promise. And whether it be the Saudad and myself, or the Saudad and my people, I will do all in my power to set you on your way, whichever direction it is you decide to go, Mara said. Eliath looked at Marcone. I have already promised to help you, lady, though I plan to learn more of this mage when we return from our dealings with the mayor. Does that title signify a general of some kind? A powerful leader? She grinned at his question. No mares in the distant past, then, either. More like a tiny king, usually picked by the people of a town. Marcone frowned, puzzled as to why this person would pose a problem to the druids. Eliath bit her lip and smiled. Her new friend's trust filled her with warmth. She had never performed a task of this kind before, though hopefully she could dredge up enough from her diplomacy lessons to help in the endeavor. So what is it precisely you would like us to do, intruded Mara? Eliath asked. Is it far from here? 
It is a day and a half to two days travel to Trudid from the Vagervale. So long as you seek to aid us, the forest will likewise help you on your own journey, so you need not concern yourself with wild beasts or roaming fae. There are fae in Kaldara? Elliot's voice raised in her surprise. There are a few, Mara grinned. Her eyes were far away, picturing fae friends. Those that cannot disguise themselves keep to the remote places of our world. Amazing, and she'd had no idea. Could they be walking around Lenolin, magically transformed to resemble one of the kingdom's citizens? Elioth shook her head, returning to the, her thoughts to the task at hand. How will we know our way? We can help you find the entrance to the path, and the trees will guide you from there, Mara explained, her smile lingering. The head of the logging company is a terrible brute, so you will need to be on your guard. He thinks only of coin, and the mare is not much better. There is a small chance of getting him to see reason, but you will want to speak with the head of the company as well. Perhaps between the two of them, someone will have the wisdom to consider wider-ranging repercussions. Do you know why they want the lumber? Why the bid came in from the court? That I am not sure of, but I am certain they will tell you, given your station. Elioth was less sure, but saying so out loud would risk her chance at a new life beyond the castle walls with the help of a well-connected kind group of people. Their settlement in the forest was peaceful, a home. She loved the way they had eased themselves into the woods and not forced the land to bend to their will. The harmony between the community and its space made it a pleasant, life-giving place, rather than one that stifled her. If she could perform this task successfully, they might see her as more than a noblewoman, a privileged outsider who was an imposition on their home and way of life. Very well then, Mara. We will take on your mission. That is wonderful, the druid beamed. You and I can work together for a few days, practice some basic skills and incantations. Then I will call the council together, and we will propose our solution. She was going to learn to cast magic? But there was still one obstacle. What if they say no? Her chest tightened at the thought of the council's rejection. They might see in her the same difference that had been so distasteful to the Linolinian nobles. Mara raised her eyebrows and her eyes flashed as though she had been waiting for precisely this challenge. Then we will have to prove them wrong. It's not so much about a knowing as it is a feeling, Mara explained after a walk together through the forest. You can and will know the names of the plants. I would guess that you're familiar with many of them already. But this is about understanding the life with which you're engaging, the existence, however different yet equally valid, to your own. So many are unable to tap into this other world. They only capture half of the story, and are afraid to let themselves see more. And this more that they're meant to see, it's the life of the trees and plants around us? Elioth asked. Yes, but it runs deeper still. The spirit of water, rock, life underground, or those creatures too small to be easily perceived by our eyes, you will develop a feeling for each of them and find yourself always enveloped within a larger community. Mara stopped and regarded her. I can feel that additional sense in you, Elioth, just beneath the surface. You only need to let it free. With Mathilde, the castle arbor arborist, Elioth had learned how to assess the health of a tree or vine. 
She was adamant about invasive species and went into great detail about finding early warning signs of their presence or rooting them out once they had begun to establish themselves. Mathilde was the first person Elioth had met who spoke of the natural world as the living, feeling, thinking, breathing thing it so clearly was. She explained nature as a mixture, a few parts place, a few parts creature. It was life expressed in a different form, an older form, than most people, limited by their own minds and perceptions, had the ability to understand. Mara held many of these foundational beliefs as well, and much of the history that she taught Eliath, the druidic understanding of each species' life and story, was reminiscent of the folktale she had learned from the gardener whose lore had been passed down through generations and traced all the way back to the Great Flood. On their second day of training, Persephone joined Eliath and Mara in one of the smaller clearings. It's best to have room in case something goes awry, the Sadat explained. But what would go awry? Any number of things, Mara said. When a certain friend of ours was training, she cast her eyes over to Persephone, she bewitched an entire flock of birds. They stumbled after her, dazed, chirping nonsense for the rest of the day. I became slightly distracted, Persephone blushed. But we got them all back to their nests eventually, did we not? Eliath laughed, picturing Persephone followed by an adoring bird chorus. Is that what we're practicing today, Mara? Not exactly. There are unique traces of magic in each of us. Charms and shimmering illusions came easily to Persephone when she was first learning, so that is what we practiced. Tapping into the emotion, learning to channel nature's power, her energy, is a common starting point for us all, though the individual magical effects can be as unique as the druids who cast them. Mara directed Eliath to stand in the center of the clearing, her feet shoulder-width apart, hands pressed together at her chest. Her mentor and Persephone stood behind her shoulders. They practiced slow, methodical breaths as a way to open themselves up to the world around them. Remember what I said yesterday, Eliath. Mara inhaled deeply. It's a feeling. Eliath breathed in the sun-warmed grass and rich earth. She retained her breath for a moment. Persephone began her exhale in time to a soft breeze. Eliath exhaled alongside a gentle bird song, trilling in the forest as the bird darted from tree to tree. Slowly, her consciousness of the two women standing beside her shifted. Others were present. Beneath her feet, especially she inhaled, roots intertwined. The roaming tendrils sent out to one another from the encircling trees. Energy cascaded up her shins, thighs, her torso, head, and neck. Life swept down the curve of her arms, past her elbows, and back up to her fingertips. Psst! Eliot's eyes flew open. There, beyond the end of her nose, sparks of bright green energy danced in circles around one another. Mara and Persephone were in front of her in an instant. Mara's eyes were cloudy with pride, and Persephone giggled in excitement. You did it, Eliot! she exclaimed. Show her to the next part, Mara. Eliot couldn't move for fear of losing the sparks. If she even spoke or looked away, they might vanish. The worlds grew tighter, faster. Perfect, Shara, Mara said. Now relax. You can bring them back if they go. The first time is the most difficult. The swell of frustration her last morning in Io Keep, the anger waiting at the tips of her fingers, pots exploding, and the sudden growth of leaves came flooding back to her. 
This was the grounded, peaceful expression of that energy. The trees around them nodded their distant heads and smiled. She was learning. Until dusk fell, Maya and Persephone talked her through channeling the sparks, joining nature's rhythm, sensing the interdependent flows of energy that surrounded them. She practiced sending focused beams into precise points in the earth. She cast a flurry of sparks overhead, and they rained down, sputtering glittery motes. To celebrate Elioth's success, and because Persephone couldn't bridle her enthusiasm any longer, that evening, Elioth, Marcone, and Mara joined the Saudade for a feast. Fine wine flowed freely, and they passed around toasted bread and baskets while wild boar roasted over a spit. Each member of the Saudad's muster, it seemed, had learned of Elioth's success in the field, and they all stopped by to wish her well. Though the spells were easy for Mara and Persephone, Elioth was drained from the effort of maintaining such close concentration. Marcone sensed her tiredness and remained close by, ready to help her manage lengthy or excessive curious conversations. You are nearly as popular as Persephone, lady, he observed with a smile. The young Saudad sat beside her two brothers on the back of a neighbor's wagon, telling tale after dramatic tale of adventure and exploits from distant lands and times long forgotten. Late in the evening, Cassian produced an instrument Elioth hadn't encountered before, a large twelve-stringed viol that he called a guitar. Persephone came to join her and translated the ancient ballads of her father's rich baritone into Kaldaran so she and Marcon could take part in the exchange of stories. Before Teodric had been sent away, she and Katerina had passed a few evenings like this. He sang in a beautiful tenor, more passionate and expressive than anyone else in the court or among the musicians. Here, with the Sarad, those evenings floated beyond her reach, drifting on endless ocean tides. But the experience of something shared, a common expression of what it meant to be alive, that's how Katerina always described the best songs and stories. That sense remained. Elioth and Mara practiced conjuring sparks the following day as well. They returned to Mara's hut as dusk fell across the forest. Elioth lay down in the cool grass that encircled Mara's home, and the druid leaned against the wall of her hut and slid down to sit beside her. A short time of silence passed as the sun lowered on the horizon. Mara opened her arms to indicate the breadth of the forest. One day, you'll be able to sit with the ash tree and ask her to tell you her story. She will answer you in her own voice, and her neighbors will add to the tale. The saplings nearby will learn their history as she speaks, and that of the white forest, and of each creature's place within the world tree. The world tree, Mara? Elioth was unfamiliar with this phrase. Ours is not the only place of life, Shira. The lands of Fae and those of Shadow that you've read about, the celestial spheres you've studied, were all arranged like the growth of a tree, dependent on one another. Mara shook her head to prevent Elioth asking further questions. It will make sense in time, Elioth, but first we must speak with the council. You are ready. Absolutely not. You go too far, Mara. We are at risk enough already, and now you're saying she might bring soldiers? No. Elioth interrupted the stream of voices pouring their agitation on her new mentor. I shouldn't have phrased it that way. He will only want to bring me back to Io Keep. No one here would be held responsible for my presence. The Duke would never credit nature worshippers with being powerful enough to manipulate ancient magical forces like the transmigration circles, even if that had been what transpired. 
I take it you have not had many antagonistic dealings with soldiers, have you, Lady Amastasia? Berevik, the elf who had been rude to Persephone during the previous meeting, spat out her title and sneered at her. I have not, but might I also assume the same holds true for you, Berevik? She switched to Elvish to better make her point. Do not assume by my upbringing that I know nothing of the sorrows of the world. Our experiences differ, but the misfortunes your parents and their parents faced are not yours to throw at my feet. His retort burned in his eyes, but they both froze as the oldest member of the Druid community, Ismer, a stooped elf with silvery skin, stood and plodded forward into the center of the gathering. Many tempers rise swiftly at this prospect, but it is not for us alone to decide. You have each pledged your lives to something larger, to the good of the world around you. The marriage of the natural and its necessary developments by creatures of all kinds. Something powerful was at work that sent Elioth into our midst, and we would be unwise to so readily dismiss this force simply because it makes us afraid. Mara, Yvain, Cassian, and Persephone have told you what befell our kin across the infinite ocean. Yvain's report of what befell Feona is true as well. It has been many days since I felt her life pulse moving about our woods. The world changes with or without us. The elderly druid turned to her. Elioth, Marcone, if you are still willing, we will accept your aid in this matter. Should you succeed, Elioth, I hope you will consider joining us. A hushed tension rippled out from Izmir at this offer, and the conclave held a collective breath. You risk yourself for us, and we will do the same for you in return. Elioth's heart pounded in her chest. It truly was happening. She would have a new home. And what if she does not, father? Berevik squared his shoulders against his elder. What if she returns without being able to guarantee a respite for the forest? Marcon stiffened beside her, a pillar of fury channeled toward the young elf. Ismayer paused, and several druids whispered among one another. It was clearly unprecedented for someone to speak to their head elder in this defiant way. Then our community will speak together once again, he said finally. Ismayer looked in Elliot's eyes and added softly, so that only those nearest to her could overhear. But I would not bet against her. His expression was grave, weighed down by a lingering darkness she could only glimpse the edges of, but his faith in her was present and spoken all the same. Berevik's words flitted after Elia throughout the rest of the afternoon. Despite urgings otherwise by Mara and Persephone, she could not shake the sense that he was right to doubt her. The Duke's threats after her and Theodric's escape attempt belied her assurances that her stepfather's troops would pose no threat to the Druids. One whiff of this nonsense again, and your accomplices will find banishment across the sea, a great mercy they are not privy to. I will not warn you again. His vow joined together with an inner swarm of apprehension, buzzing always just behind her ears. Might I speak with you a moment, lady? Marcon asked after a quiet dinner shared between the three of them. They returned to the log circle outside Mara's hut. 
He stoked the fire and sat beside her. In the light of the flames, as he drew near, the palimpsest beneath his skin faded, the text less distinct. Marcone, she exclaimed, your arms, look. He glanced down in alarm before he mulled over them in the glowing light. I don't suppose it is likely that we will find anyone intruded who reads ancient texts or deciphers unknown magical symbols. Your assessment is correct as far as I know. Trudid is a small town, populated by traders and farmers. Is it part of Linolin as well? In a way. They pay a share to the king in exchange for the promise of military protection, but they make their own laws so long as the region doesn't fall into unrest. That is a fortunate arrangement on both sides. I think so. I'm sure not everyone enjoys the taxes, but King Arantes tries to be fair. Marco nodded. I was angry earlier at how Berevik spoke to you. I wish I had handled it differently, though I am relieved that Ismayer spoke on your behalf. Regardless of what transpires when we're intruded, once we return, I will help you find safety from this enemy Mara resists speaking of. I had hoped she would say more about him during dinner, but she didn't want to talk about it. Mara had dismissed the subject when it arose, saying she didn't want Elioth to worry, but the shadow of an unknown enemy loomed ever darker behind her. Elioth shivered. She seemed upset after the meeting. Marcone turned his arms to study them above the fire. It has been strange for me to see so few people gathered in one place, for there to be no ships overhead, no immediate threats pressing in from all sides. His gaze followed the smoke on its journey to the stars. Avoiding conflict is sensible, but it is a fallacy to believe peace will last forever. In recent human generations in Kaldara, perhaps not in extended elvish ones, life has been peaceful. Conflicts now and again, but not ones that span the entire continent. But which types of ships are you looking for? We are several days' ride from the coast. Airships. They fly. They're very fast? Marcone laughed. They are, but I, what I mean to say is that they fly above the land through the clouds. I wish I could tell you how they worked. I had not the inclination to study them, but limited aerial attacks will make strategy easier. Wait, what are you strategizing? Never mind the impossible bird ships. They must have been very small. That is why I asked you to come speak with me. Danger follows me, Elioth. When Mara talked of the man hunting you, I wondered if it was truly you he was after, or if they misunderstood. Mara suggested that I stay near you in the amulet for now. She senses that we are connected in some way, and I stand by my promise to you. But I have been returned to life for a reason, if, even if I cannot feel the presence of Ignis, but once felt as natural to me as a simple breath of air. There was much I could do before that I cannot do now. It would be a poor recompense for harm to befall you again because of me. It's not something I can allow or a burden I wish for you to bear. She had desired freedom for so long, Anything to be away from the castle, her stepfather, and the constant strictures and limitations. But now? What was she supposed to do? Could the druids truly offer a place to belong? Even if they did, and the enemy was defeated or driven off, how long would she want to stay here? I understand, Marcone, Elioth answered. But you helped me, too. With the ice giant, even when we've been here... I can write to Katarina and see if she knows a way to help you or a source that might be of use. He nodded. 
Will they have armor intruded? I asked Mara, but there is no chainmail to be found among the whole conclave. I'm no longer surprised they're overly cautious. Eliath laughed and watched the floating embers drift from the edges of the fire into the sapphire air. Mara ground herbs inside her hut, the mortar and pestle perfuming the atmosphere with herbs that aided sleep, part of her nightly routine. The comforting aroma of dense moss and pale purple blossoms sprinkled and dew drifted over and mingled with the smoky heat of the fire. In the woods behind the cabin, the trees cautiously whispered together so as not to disturb the grasses and leaves beneath. Marcone stoked the fire and added a few branches to ward against the falling temperatures of the northern spring. On a night like this in Io Keep, she would have been reading by candlelight, glancing occasionally at her own reflection, stark against the black window glass, alone beyond the company of her book. The next morning dawned in lilac and soft rose through the leafy fingers overhead. For the first time since waking in Mara's hut a few days before, Eliot's muscles felt limber, light. Today was the day for a new adventure. She had overheard Trudid mentioned every now and again in conversations between her mother or stepfather and nobles whose estates bordered the southeastern portion of the Stormside Forest. Trudid provided grain, meat, and lumber to Linolin and some of the larger estates. The others were self-sufficient, much like the Principality of Red's Cross to the east. It was incredible that to the north of the town, in the mountain foothills, an entire Druid conclave flourished in the forest near the Hadvarian border, and she'd had no idea till a few days before. Mara's dark, tightly wound curls shone in the sunlight as she looked through an assortment of canisters and muttered to herself. A small fire crackled in the fireplace, its heat broken by breezy ripples from the early morning air. Marcone sat in the entryway, his body angled in her direction, but he watched the world outside the hut. He smiled at her when she saw she was awake. Good morning, lady. Eliath darted back from the cool air against her bare shoulders as she sat up, and Marcone secured the leather flap. He scanned the room for the shawl she continued to borrow from Mara and found it hanging on a peg near the door. With a single step, he crossed the breadth of Mara's home and knelt beside her to drape it over her shoulders. Excitement about their upcoming travels overwhelmed the doubt and anxiety from the night before. For the second time in one week, she was going somewhere new. What should we prepare for our trip through the forest? she asked. Scarlet, the heroine of a novel that had been one of her favorites as a teenager, was meticulous in her preparations for any journey. She anticipated what she would find and face based on the biome and season she explored. It is common to have dried provisions that, with solar power and water, transform into hearty meals. There are also water purification devices, though for such a short trip, we may be fine without, said Marcone. Eliath and Mara stared at him in confusion. How does the meal change in the sunlight? Eliath asked. Mara pursued a different tack. Water, if one selects a proper stream, is pure and cool. Some of our conclave even believe it can help with adapting to the local environment, much like familiarity with pollinators. The castle botanist had told her something like that, but she'd only paid attention to what her flowers most needed from the bees. I've always read about people bringing dried meats and bread and carefully foraging among the plants they found on their travels, Eliath added. Mara looked between the two of them and was the first to laugh. Hopefully, with so many ideas, we can help you survive a day and a half of wilderness. Marcone was still puzzled by their confusion, but he rose to help Mara gather supplies while Eliath donned her leathers. 
She pulled back her hair in a loose, twisting braid and stepped out from behind the partition. You look like an adventurer to me, or you will once you have your boots, Mara said, and Marcone gave her an approving wink. The druid opened a small hidden drawer in her bureau and withdrew a worn leather coin pouch. I haven't much, but on behalf of myself and the conclave, here's a small sum for your travels. She took out a few gold coins and placed them in Elliot's hand. Before she discovered the duke's plot to exchange her in an advantageous marriage, Elioth hadn't worried about obtaining wealth of any kind. Her mother's side of the family was the most prosperous in the kingdom, save the royals themselves, and all her material needs and wants were readily met. But as she and Theodric prepared to leave, her approach changed. Beyond the castle walls, she would need to provide for herself, which required coin. I don't want to take from your stores. Elioth held out her hand toward Mara's to push away the money. She'd been storing gold for a few years in preparation for a final escape attempt, whenever she found an opportunity to flee from whichever cool husband the duke had selected. It didn't amount to a great sum in noble circles, but it would allow her to survive for several weeks so long as she was careful. We've no need of them, Shira, Mara said as she caught Elioth's hand. She turned her palm face up and dropped five gold coins in her hand. Our community doesn't use them, but it will aid you intruded. The mayor and the logging overseer care for nothing else. Her mentor's earnest expression softened her objections, and Elioth accepted the payment. Thank you, Mara. This is generous of you. Maybe we can get the armor you were asking me about, she said to Marcone. For five gold, lady? Are you sure? It will cost more than that if it is actually capable of protecting you, Mara said. She smiled at Elioth. But that will provide you with food and lodging, should you need it. That is a more sensible plan. Elioth bit her lip. Except for a few trips through the marketplace in the air ward and the elegant vendors brought into the Hedvarian Palace, she had never purchased goods from the merchants. Perhaps she could overhear their dealings with someone else to gauge prices and avoid being swindled. Marcone placed the provisions he and Mara had gathered into a leather satchel that he slung easily over his shoulder, followed by his flame-emblazoned shield. He closed his eyes and took a long, slow breath as he picked up his sword and held it before him. After he bowed his head toward the hilt, he placed it into the makeshift scabbard he had fashioned from a belt borrowed from one of Mara's neighbors. She would have preferred to not need Marcone's weapons or her own dagger on the trip. She ran her fingers over the faded marks from the ice creature's attack. The wound had healed quickly with Mara's herbs, but the skin was still tender. You will need to meet with one of the mayor's aides before you can have an audience with him, Mara said. It's an unnecessary formality, but he will insist upon it. Thank you, Mara, Elioth said. She was accustomed to those with political power forcing others to observe even the tiniest rules and regulations. They stepped outside Mara's hut, and she walked with them to the faint trail cut through the woods, its small impressions visible in the undergrowth. Be cautious, through the forest and along the road. We will be, Marcone said. The path ahead radiated energy, and her emotions answered in return. So much could be starting here, now. In the distance, the possibilities of a new life took shape, a small cabin of her own, or a hut like Mara's, visits with the Saudad and other interesting travelers. Will you tell Persephone goodbye for me? They're waiting till we return to go, aren't they? She will insist on it, yes. I'll deliver your message directly. Cassian and I have a few more things to discuss. 
Mara accompanied them on the first several minutes of their journey. It will help the forest get to know you, she explained. She traced the edges of leaves and smiled at tiny twigs on their trail. This creek bed that guides your path connects our home in the Vagervale wood with Trudid to the southeast and then Penshaw if one continues several days south. Tendrils branch off and wind their way to Linolin just before the edges of the forest. The creek's memory in those places delves beneath the ground and trickles in subterranean supplies and through the bedrock that has upheld these lands through vast and shifting eras. On your journey south, you'll cross a series of embankments that grow progressively calmer, with tall grasses and only a few stones. Near sunset, you'll come upon a sturdy, decisive stone, one that demanded the creek choose a new way forward. Take the eastern fork. It intersects with the main road to Trudid. If you ever lose the trail, the following incantation should help the forest trust and guide you back. Fay and friends who light our way, through ash and birch and oaken stay, will of the willows and falling leaves, grant their peace and travelers' ease. It sounds better in druidic, Mara said after she caught sight of Marcone's dubious expression, but we've retained the cadence in the Kaldaran translation. Eliath giggled and repeated the rhyme to herself a few times. Will you teach me the druidic version, Mara? When we return? If you are keen to learn then, as I hope you will be, yes. There's one final thing before we part ways. She reached into her satchel and withdrew a small silver figurine of a raven. This will allow you to get in touch with anyone you need, so long as they're within a day's flight. Whisper, nor corvu, and it will transform and deliver your message. Wait until it has assumed its full raven form before you begin speaking, and describe the person who's to receive your message and where it can find them. Then, after you say, comment, it will match your voice for a few sentences and recite your message to the one you've sent it to. This figurine will transform into an actual raven? Yes, Mara's expression twinkled. I would show you now, but this will preserve the incantation should you need it. These messengers are not common in Iokeep? No, unfortunately. We sent messages through coded sounds and magical rocks that could speak with one another across great distances, Marcon added. Eliath considered this. They didn't use talking rocks in Linolin either. Mara smiled. Edvard will do his best to help you. He'll need a few days off after a day of flying. If you send him to me or to the castle, we can reply, but hold on to him so he can rest for two sunrises and sunsets after that. Eliath carefully noted Mara's directions and promised to be careful with the generous gift. This is where we must part, Shira, Mara said. She stopped beside a beautiful flowering tree. The druid laid her hands on Eliath's shoulders and kissed her on each cheek before she bowed her head deeply to Marcone. Be well, my dear new friends. I shall look forward to your return. We will come back soon, Mara, Eliath replied. She strode forward on the pressed dirt path left behind by the dry creek bed's years of undulating through the vast forest. Marcone matched step beside her. Thank you so much for joining me for today's adventure through Buried Heroes in the World of Azuria. If you'd like to find out more about me or my fiction, you can find me at bethballbooks.com. You can also find my books worldwide at your favorite bookstore or ask your local librarian to add them to the library catalog. If you're interested in the story of Yelith and Theodric's separation, check out Song of Parting for their time together in IO Keep and to learn the specifics of what pulled them apart. You'll also find Katarina's story and an ancient legend woven through their tale. 
I've thought about doing a special private paid podcast feed for Song of Parting, where you could purchase access to the audio recording of the novella and listen from beginning to end. If that's something you'd be interested in, please reach out and let me know. Audiobooks are both time intensive and expensive to create, which is part of why we're here on the podcast together, um, because I'm also waiting until I'm further along in Age of Azuria before I find a professional narrator to work with so I can make sure I'll have the same person for the whole series. I know for lots of people, and possibly you since you're listening right now, that audio is more accessible. Audio is a more accessible form of reading. So again, if you'd be interested in a podcast feed of Song of Parting without the intro and conclusion each week, send me an email or get in touch on socials and let me know. I'm on Instagram at BethBallAuthor and on Twitter at GroveGuardian, or you can email me beth at bethballbooks.com. To stay up to date with the world of Azuria and be the first to know about upcoming fiction projects, visit bethballbooks.com join. I would love for you to be a part of my reading community, The Story Enclave, and as a special thanks to you, for a limited time, you'll receive a free ebook copy of Aurora when you sign up. Today's episode is sponsored by Amber Queen, book three in the Age of Azuria series. Amber Queen picks up our hero's stories after the events of Hedvarian Heist, book two. You can pre-order your copy of Amber Queen at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite bookseller. Oh, and you can get Song of Parting there too. <laughs> My other copies of Amber Queen in print just came in at the end of last week and they are so pretty. You'll find photos on my Instagram and you can now pre-order a copy of your own print form. Sorry, you can pre-order a copy of your own in print from your favorite bookstore. The novel releases August 31st, just three short weeks from today, if you're listening on the day of release. If you enjoyed our time together today and would like to hear more stories set in Azuria, you can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash groveguardianpress. Look for the Fae and Damon tiers. We return to Buried Heroes next Tuesday, August 17th for Chapter 14, where we learn about where Marcon is from, an ancient world called Eldura, and perhaps we might discover why fate has determined that he should now return. And speaking of Eldura, the time has now come for me to share with you a special preview of a new serial story project, The Tree of Silver. 200 years ago, one of the last dragons of Sanctuary fell. The dragon, Shar Khan, attacked King Tavian's forces as the king and his army rooted out the last of the usurpers to the throne. Shar Khan's bones still reside behind the throne of Sanctuary, the throne where Tavian still sits. But this is not the king's story. One true beginning of our tale harkens back even further. 800 years before Shar Khan's defeat, across the mighty rivers of our world, upon the banks of Bastion. There, one of the few survivors of the fall of Horizon washed ashore, her tiny daughter in her arms. They were not the last of their people, far from it. But the girl would grow to be the first chosen of Cassandra, a title serving as the promise between the goddess of fate and the Saudad. If they would add her stories to their own, the goddess said, they would be her people. And as her people, she would grant them the ability to walk the threads of fate. The first chosen had a daughter, a priestess, and she in turn brought a daughter into the world. Nearly 1,000 years after the fall of Horizon, we meet a new heroine, Arela, as she walks the streets of Del Mar in the forest kingdom of Lismane. 
few here remember her people's first home, though its loss hovers over the Saurad still. Of course, there is a second true beginning of our story that came into being even before Horizon's fall. But for that legend, we must wait and watch as a new legend unfolds. Thus begins the second tale of the Tree of Silver. Ooh. So, if you would like to learn more about the Tree of Silver, visit bethballbooks.com slash tree of silver, and that's tree dash of dash silver, the little horizontal dashes, to join the waitlist for early access previews and news about the release. Um, and if you know me from tabletop gaming spaces, the goal is to bring together some of the longer narrative form and the exploration of perhaps a duet game of fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons um, and that's that's really what inspired this series as well as to bring it together with the immersive storytelling nature and qualities of epic fantasy fiction so I think that that will be a really fun combination I would love for you to join me on this adventure the theme song for this podcast was created by Garrett Rose of The Bardic Inspiration, who you can find on Instagram or Patreon at The Bardic Inspiration. And so until next week, happy travels, and I hope that we'll be adventuring together again soon.